back to Dear Baseball Gods. This is episode 19, and this one is going to be titled What It Takes. So in the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, working on revamping my website. One of the things I uh, have to get going is a, uh, you know, a sort of free gift for website visitors so I can hopefully, you know, get them to sign up for a newsletter list where I can keep them updated on some of my new projects, which right now are including my book, which is currently in the editing stages. Um, which is titled Dear Baseball Gods. I'm pretty excited that that's pretty much complete and uh, just getting, you know, other pairs of eyes on it. And then uh, a couple of baseball courses that I'm hopefully going to work on very soon and have done within hopefully a month um, on Teachable. And so a bunch of other things. But So this, this, uh, this document that I've been working on, what it takes, has five items that I think every parent, coach, athlete, that they all need to sort of hear um, and understand as they're, you know, undertakings a long career in sports. So I want to talk about a couple of things that are on that list today because like I said, it's been been fresh in my mind. So number one, and I've, I've told this story before, but when I was playing, um, well, I actually didn't really have a team, I guess at that point, but back in 2014, I was coming back from Tommy John surgery and I had a really long two years off and it was a, a tough rehab coming back a second time. But through some good friends of mine, I got a, I got a chance to show what I could do in the end of 2013 with the Somerset Patriots, and I uh, earned a spring training invite with them coming back for the, the following season. So in 2014, I showed up for spring training, and I uh, quickly realized that I was probably the low man on the totem pole. So as spring training neared, which started about the middle of April, in March, they just kept adding guys onto the roster. So every week I'd see on Facebook, oh, we've signed this new guy who, you know, spent five years in the big leagues, or hey, we've signed this new guy who um, posted good numbers in, in AAA last year, but just got a little overlooked. And, you know, here's this new player, and then this new player, and this new player. And I was like, man, I'm uh, my stock keeps dwindling quickly. So when I get into camp, I, uh, you know, I, I knew what I could do. Um, I knew I had a good fastball. I knew it had a good curveball. And, um, you know, I, I knew who I was, but at the same time, it doesn't matter that much how, you know, who you are. It matters what you can do for the ball club and also who they have. You know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're an up and comer in the, say you're a, a shortstop in the Yankee system for any time in the last 20 years, you know, were you going to push Derek Jeter out of his spot? No. So there's always a pecking order. And that's always just part of the challenge of, of being an athlete or, you know, heck, being an employee in any part of the, the corporate world. But so here I was in spring training and I was down in the uh, in the right field corner and we were all throwing like our first bullpen of the of the spring. So I just remembered watching the first couple guys go. And it just so happened that the first couple guys that went were uh, pretty high level guys who both think pitched in the big leagues. And I just watched their bullpen from behind and like literally every fastball they threw was just like bop right at the bottom of the kneecap just over and over and over and over and over right at the bottom of the zone extremely consistent um i mean just throwing strikes for them just seems so so easy and you know my coaches in college and throughout my career had always preached you know you have to be down the zone you have to be down the zone and you know, with a lot of the advanced statistics that are out there now and a lot of the stat cast analysis and new knowledge on spin rate and all this other stuff, it's uh, it's a little more debatable, I guess, now whether you always have to be down the zone. However, it's not debatable. It's a skill that you need to have as a pitcher. So whether you're successful by throwing the majority of your, your pitches down or not, you still need to be able to do it consistently because that's really just part of 
getting on top of the ball and behind the ball and creating some downhill angle and all those things coincide with throwing a good breaking ball and a good change up and in general having good command pitchers that can't get the ball down they're not successful pitchers pitchers that can get the ball down but choose to throw the ball up for other reasons they can still be extremely successful I was one of those pitchers later in my career I pitched up in the zone because that's where I was best but I had the ability to pitch down the zone consistently at that point so as I was watching these guys they just I mean I was a little bit in awe because I'm like man that's a that's an incredible bullpen just the way these guys were throwing and it hit me and it was scary because I was like I can't do that you know what they're out there doing I can't do that and I knew at that point that at the very least I had to look like everyone else. You know, if I was going to differentiate myself and make the team, um, you know, it was going to have to be that I did everything else that those guys did, but maybe just a little bit better. They saw something else in me. And so there I was, and I was like, well, I know for a fact I can't throw a bullpen like those couple guys just threw their bullpen, but I'm going to have to find a way right now to be able to do that. And so that day for me really was a turning point. And I, I shared this story in the, like I said, in this document that I'm working on, um, I threw that next bullpen, you know, 35 minutes later, um, it was one of the best bullpens of my life because I felt this extreme need to be down the zone more than any other time in my career where coaches were harping on me say, Hey, you got to be down the zone. You have to be down the zone. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just like go through my bullpen the same way. But at this point at, on this day, I knew for a fact that my survival as a pitcher depended on me being down the zone. And so my level of focus went from, you know, average high level athlete, I guess, to something way bigger than that. And I don't know what the level was, but I went to this new level of focus because every pitch that I threw had to be down in the zone. It couldn't be up. If I started looking like that guy who can't get the ball down, they're just gonna be like, oh yeah, there's just another young, young guy who, you know, doesn't have the ability to do it. Um, and I did, I threw an extremely good bullpen that day. I don't think I stuck out. I think I just looked like everyone else. And that was really just the goal. It was like, just don't stick out in a bad way. And from that day on that level of focus, whatever it is that I sort of summoned was with me for the rest of my career. And I've talked about this at length when we're talking about, you know, amateur baseball, amateur sports in general, when kids, sort of have their roster spot no matter what happens it doesn't foster that sort of learning that sort of like I have to be able to do this or versus the I want to be able to do this or I don't feel the need that I have to do this a coach is saying this but yeah I'll just do it my way but when you feel like I am going to lose everything that I've ever wanted because I don't do this you find a way real fast to do it and for me like I had the mechanics to do it. Like my mechanics were the same as anyone else's. I didn't have worse mechanics than the guys who were throwing better bullpens than me. I just didn't, I just didn't have the level of focus, this intense focus that was forcing me to, to really accomplish a certain task because, and that's what it seems like it is with command, you know, more and more kids are obsessed with velocity these days and velocity is, is extremely important. So I'm not going to get on a rant about how velocity is not important because it really, really is. However, they get so obsessed with their velocity that that's the only thing they're thinking about at any point. And they're never thinking about the, the really important thing, which is executing their pitch. And executing your pitch takes an incredible focus. And, and uh, you know, the idea that the result of this pitch is the only thing that really matters 
the radar gun reading doesn't matter. Um, me hitting my spot, throwing it exactly where I need it to go is what matters. And having a level of focus, because, I mean, you see guys in the big leagues and you see someone like Chris Sale, for example, um, and he does all the th- everything right mechanically, but he looks different. Like he's got arms and legs flying all over the place. He kind of steps across his body and he's a big trunk twist. And you look at Chris Sale and he doesn't look like everyone else, but the guy can throw a million strikes. I mean, he's an exceptional pitcher, obviously. And so you say, well, how does a guy with mechanics that would be difficult to repeat for most other people, um, how does he throw strikes so well? How does he command the ball so well? How does he punch out the world? Um, it's got to be mental. You know, he just, he knows what he's doing and how to accomplish it. And he connects his mind to his body extremely, extremely well. So, you know, that, that story for me was really important to my growth as a player because after that day, everything changed and I was just significantly better because of my ability to focus. So number two on my list, um, is having an impeccable routine. And this is something you learn as you go when you get older you know, everyone, as they start to enter the adult world, they start to, you know, realize the value of routine, not staying up too late and packing their lunch ahead of time, putting their clothes out, you know, the previous night so they don't have to make decisions in the morning. Um, all these things are important because they help just keep you on track and kind of free up bandwidth for the important things. But young kids just have like, and when I say young kids, I work with mostly middle school, middle school and high school players, but you see it everywhere. I mean, even in pro ball in the last bunch of years, um, you know, there'd be a couple new guys who are like one or two years in who just don't seem to really know what they're doing in pregame. Um, they just kind of, it's not that they mess around. They just don't have a clear cut reason behind the things that they're doing. And it just takes a lot of trial and error, number one, but also just takes an understanding of, of what routine does for you. So for an athlete, you know, what routine does is it just isolates and eliminates variables. So the way I explain routine to, to young athletes is, look, you're trying to make sure that if you pitch well one day, you pitch okay the next two, day, two days, and then you pitch really poorly the fourth day. Do you know why? Why did you pitch bad one day? Why did you pitch great the other day? Why did you pitch just okay the other two? Um, can you figure out what helped you pitch well and what helped you pitch poorly? Can you then eliminate the things that helped you or maybe contributed to you pitching poorly? Can you maybe do a little more of the thing that helped you pitch well or just continue doing that dose if that's the right dose for you? Um, All those things, when you do something different in pregame every time, even if it's just a little bit, say you just run 10 poles one time, then you run five poles the next, or you run three sprints, or then you run eight sprints, or you know, you, uh, you, throw 60 throws in your pregame one day then it's 80 throws the next you know when when you're trying to when you're always varying your routine and you're never sure what it is cause success or failure it's just hard to continue to put out consistent results so when you're looking for consistency which is the the number one thing with with any sport I mean coaches need to know they can trust the result when they put a player on the field you know, how are you going to duplicate success? You know, like McDonald's or Burger King or Chick-fil-A, they all have operations manuals. So this is the way that you make a hamburger for us. You know, this is the way that you make chicken sandwich, whatever it is. So that when you go to a Chick-fil-A in Georgia and then you go to Chick-fil-A in Alaska, you get the same sandwich every time. You know, you get the same results every time. 
And so many young athletes either don't know what they're doing at all and they don't put any thought into it, which, you know, you have to learn at some point. Um, or they just have a routine that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I constantly get kids at tryouts who we had a number of private workouts for our Warbird Senators baseball teams. Uh, that's my academy teams. And I'll have a kid, I'll say, hey, you know, go in the outfield, take your catcher and, you know, just take your time. And whenever you're ready to pitch, um, just holler at me and then we'll be ready to go. So I'll, I'll watch them and they'll play catch with their catcher. They'll back up a little bit maybe go to, you know, 60, 70 feet. They'll come back in a little bit and they'll throw and 25 throws. They call me and they say, hey, I'm ready. I'm saying, okay, well, what pitches do you throw? Oh, I throw a fastball, a curveball, and a changeup. Uh, okay, well, how many curveballs and changeups did you throw in the outfield just now? None. I said, well, then how are you ready to throw? You're going to throw those for me, right? Um, and obviously, I don't have kids uh, in middle school throw curveballs, but um, they. this is like an extremely common example that's happened numerous times just this summer alone where kids have other pitches that they throw and they don't even realize to warm those pitches up before they're going to debut themselves for somebody else. I'm like, well, if you're going to pitch for the Yankees and the Yankees are maybe going to give you a million dollars if you did really well for them, um, do you think you'd have thrown all your pitches? You know, if the Yankees were going to potentially offer you a contract, they're like, yeah, yeah, I guess I probably would have. I'm like, well, why would it be different now or any other time? You know, it's just one of those things where when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, even 16 year olds still do this sometimes. It's like, how do you miss the fact that you're going to throw those pitches in a game and you didn't throw any of them in warmups? It's, it's mind blowing. I think a lot of people on the outside just take a routine for granted and they assume, you know, that everyone would do all these things in, in, in their warm routine, but they don't. I mean, at some point they have to be taught. And at some point they have to also look inside themselves and figure out, you know, what am I trying to get out of my career? And what am I trying to get out of just even this single, this single game? Um, you know, if I'm trying to throw well, I need to make sure I'm doing the things I need to do to foster good habits. So, you know, we talk about just, just for a baseball pitcher, you know, a good warm up routine involves warming up in the outfield. So stretching your arm up or you're stretching your arm out. So going back, you know, everyone's different. So it might be, you might long toss, you might go to 250 feet or you might just go out to like, 80 or 90 and then come back in, but you're going from a drill, you know, maybe drill a, then drill B, then you back up and throw from the stretch. And then you go from the windup a little bit. Then you go from a, you know, like a pitcher's crow hop or an outfield crow hop. And then you come back in and then you go from the windup and stretch again, you throw some changeups, you throw some breaking balls, then you, uh, let some loose and you really unleash them, make sure your arms are fully up to speed. And then you go into the bullpen and then the bullpen, there's all these different iterations of every single pitch that you throw. So, Everything a pitcher is going to go out and use in the game is A, from the windup, and B, from the stretch. So he needs to throws fastballs to seven different locations. You know, for me, as a right-handed reliever with a decent fastball and a good spin rate, I threw pretty much to four locations. Down the middle, inside, third, inside corner, and up. And up varied. I mean, well, I guess it gets into more locations than that, but... Up middle is where I'd go for a strikeout. Up and in is where I'd go to try to get a guy to swing, maybe on like an 0-1 or 1-2 count, but I know I'm probably not going to strike him out on that. Um, I didn't go away too much because I get hurt out there and I didn't stay down the zone too much after I got ahead because I got hurt down there. But, you know, I'd throw to five fastball locations maybe, so I made sure I'd throw all those in, in warm-ups. It's like I'm not throwing one – I'm not just throwing my fastball. I'm throwing – all five of my fastballs or all seven of my fastballs, you know? So same thing with your breaking ball. For me, I threw three breaking balls, one right down the middle for a called strike, 
one on the outside corner just below the kneecap that's borderline ball strike where they probably swing at it and can't hit it um, or at least can't hit it hard and it's borderline ball strike that's like an 0112 curve or I throw the curveball that I try to strike out with so that's a one that I bury on the point of the plate hopefully so there's three curveballs that I warm up and then my changeup I throw it down the middle I throw it to the outer half or outer third and then I'll bury it so basically three changeups um, I don't go to my glove side. I don't go to a way to a righty with my changeup. So for me, that's three curveballs, three changeups, and say, let's say five fastballs. So I have 11 pitches that I need to warm up, and I have to do that from both the windup and the stretch. So, you know, right then, if I throw one of each, that's 11 pitches from the windup, 11 from the stretch, that's 22 out of my, my bullpen. You know, for a reliever, that's close to enough. Um, for a starter, they probably throw you know, 10, 15 more in the pen, something like that, like 35, 40. But even then, there's a there's a reason behind everything that I try to do as a pitcher. And young players just need to understand that. And it's not even just limited to baseball. It's, it's everything. It's, you know, basketball. How do you go through your routine? You know, do you shoot all the different jumpers? If you're not a three-point shooter and you're a, you know, you're a mid-range guy or a layup guy or whatever, um, you know, do you work on all those? Do you shoot the ones that you don't use in a game just so you have it, so you get better at it, all that sort of stuff. Um, and that stuff's really important. And it's not just game day routine either. It's it's weekly routine. It's monthly routine. It's daily routine. And, of course, a good daily routine becomes a, a good yearly routine, which becomes a good life routine because all those things are just made up, you know, a year, a month, a week. It's all made up of one day. So... With all that stuff, it becomes incredibly crucial. You know, do you get out of bed on time? Do you do you miss workouts? Do you never miss workouts? You know, do you show up to practice on time? What are you getting out of your practice? When you play catch, how do you play catch? When you have a flat ground or a bullpen, you know, how do you go about it? Do you always focus on every pitch you make, every throw you make, even when they're half speed? All that stuff is really, really important. Um, and that's where you start to make progress over someone else, where, you know, as a kid, you might throw you know, say you throw 70 throws 300 days out of the year, say you live in Arizona or something like that. And they're not all hard. I mean, most of them are probably catch, um, but that's 20,000 throws. Is it? Is that right? Yeah. It's about 20,000 throws in a year. You know, say you start playing baseball when you're eight and you graduate high school at 18, that's 20,000 throws a year for 10 years. It's 200,000 throws. And most of them are probably going to be catch, you know, lower speed, not in game. So, do you focus on every single one of those? Like I, I talked about in, in number one here, you know, if, does every throw, and that's what pro guys do, every single throw in pregame, they're focused on it. They're trying to feel that slider, catch their fingers exactly how they need to in a game. You know, every throw, especially for relief guys who they're not going to throw hard except when they're in a game, they have to get something out of those 60 mile per hour throws. And so they're like, I got to, I got to feel it exactly come off my middle finger the way it's supposed to in a game, even though it's only 60 miles per hour. And even though, even though I'm only, only going to make 24 throws today in, in pregame, all 24 of them have to be productive, you know, and that's kind of the mindset of a, of a high level, high level athlete. So number three, uh, there's a couple I'm not going to touch on in my, my ebook because um, I've covered them in other podcasts. Number three is having a clear mind, which if you haven't listened to episode 13, um, I highly recommend it. That was a, a tough day for me in my career. And I talk about meditation and uh, visualization and mental training a lot in that and how I came to that. But that's number three in my, uh, in my ebook. But number three for today is professionalism. So I was in Vegas uh, last weekend, which is why I missed a podcast uh, episode. So I apologize. I didn't get it taped in advance, but 
I was in Vegas and we didn't mean to be there. My, my business partner, Lucas and I, we didn't intend on being there for the, the McGregor fight. We didn't really know that's when it was. And we booked it a long time ago, but, um, we had a couple of hotel rooms to use and a free flight to use. So we went to Vegas and, you know, I was fairly certain, uh, Mayweather was going to win. He was my pick. Um, I don't like McGregor. I don't like this whole nonsense of, oh, you know, come play my sport and I'll win. Like boxing and MMA are completely different sports. Um, and Floyd Mayweather is not a, not a spring chicken anymore. So is he going to learn to fight MMA and, and ruin his legacy and go through all that nonsense? No. So if McGregor wants to challenge him, go for it. So he did obviously. And, and he lost just like everyone kind of assumed that he would, but they kind of just did a good job in the media. I think hyping up the fact that, oh, if he gets one good punch in there, it could be over. It's like, yeah, okay. But obviously it didn't happen. Um, but it just was like a, and understand that I know that there's a lot of promotion and both sides, McGregor and Mayweather were promoting the fight. So I know a lot of the McGregor screaming in Mayweather's face and talking a big game about how he's not going to knock him out or how he is going to knock him out. All that stuff helps, you know, sell tickets and, and build both of their paydays. Um, so who knows how much that was real and how much of it was, was dramatized. I'm sure a decent amount of it was real. Um, but you know, Floyd Mayweather kept his cool and it was, I enjoyed the post game sentiments from both guys. Um, cause Mayweather didn't bash him afterwards. He, uh, gave him, you know, his, his due and said that McGregor fought well. And, um, you know, and, and McGregor, even though he made a lot of excuses for himself that didn't, I guess in his mind seem like excuses, he, uh, he kept going back to the fact that man, like Mayweather's just really experienced and really professional and, and he was like, he'd been there before he'd done that before he knew how to adapt in the middle of a fight. Um, and McGregor took some, you know, unconventional methods in there, but Mayweather's experience allowed him to slow the game down and slow the ring down and, um, slow the fight down and, you know, counter those strange moves that maybe he hadn't seen in a long time. So, um, to me, professionalism is huge. Uh, you know, the way Mayweather is going to go about his business, the way a pro athlete is, in general is going to go about his business and his or her business. Um, and just, uh, it just, again, it helps you control variables. It helps you keep your emotions in check. Um, and it, it keeps you in the, in business. I mean, when you're unprofessional, when you act like a fool, when you're, you know, living the lifestyle to excess, staying out too late, you know, getting too heavily involved with, um, you know, troublesome figures and drinking and drugs and all that stuff. Um, it just goes back to being a professional. That's not how you control the game. That's not how you, you go about your business and, and treat like a lot, like your livelihood. So I was rooting heavily against McGregor just for, to me, what was an utter lack of professionalism in general. But again, I know that it's, you know, it was as much of a, an entertainment event as anything. So who knows, who knows how much of that was really, really real, but you know, for any athletes listening, professionalism is just huge. And the more your coach can see that you care so much that you're going to, you know, form a good routine for yourself, be a good teammate, you know, show up on time, conduct yourself a certain way, show up in uniform. You know, it's one of those things like I get really pissed off with our kids in my academy when they don't show up in uniform. You know, one kid doesn't have the right shirt you know, it makes me mad. Um, you don't have the rights. You have your socks pulled up the wrong way or you have your eye black smeared down your face. It's like, look, and I explained this in my team meeting this year, cause I'm coaching 14 U. it's like, we're not going to draw attention to ourselves because of the way we dress because of, the, of, you know, 
acting flashy or any of this stuff. We're going to draw attention to ourselves because of our character and because of the, the way we play the game, because of our hustle um, and our, our passion for it and our character. You know, that's how we're going to get, a, get attention. Um, and you learn that you stick out of the crowd when you do the things the right way, when you carry yourself a certain way and you just show respect to the game and to your coaches and to your teammates and your opponents and all that stuff. So professionalism is, is huge. It's never going to go away. And uh, there's, a, there's a movie I highly recommend called The Hustler. It's with Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason. And the, the, that whole movie is just about professionalism. You know, the young, uh, the young buck, the, this pool shark who's played by Paul Newman, um, Fast Eddie is his character. He's the best pool player in the world, and he knows it. And he goes to challenge the old, you know, the old veteran who's like never been beaten, named Minnesota Fats. And he uh, he challenges him, and he's wiping the floor with him, and he gets real high on himself about it. Starts drinking, gets drunk, and then it gets destroyed because Fats, the old experienced pro, had been there before, and he'd played 24 hours of straight pool before, just like um, they're playing in the movie, and. Uh, you know, even though he got down, he kept his cool, kept his head, and kept playing hard, and he ends up beating his brains in. And, of course, over the course of the movie, you know, um, Jackie or, uh, Paul Newman's character sort of figures this out, goes through some growing pains, um, gets beat up by some other pool sharks, blah, 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 comes to realize how important professionalism is, is by the end of the movie. So great movie, highly recommend it. It's from, I think it's from the 60s or 70s. It's in black and white, but awesome movie with a, with a great message. So number four was finding a coach who is a great coach who will get the best out of you. So I had a bunch during my career. You know, I had five or six who, without them in my life, I wouldn't have made it anywhere that I wanted to go. Um, and looking back on it, I mean, you see just how they're all different and it just, it's almost like finding the right fit for you because sometimes you don't need what you, you don't know what you need until you need it and until you get it. Um, I had some coaches that were really, really hard on me and I had some coaches that just kind of let me do my thing and they would just kind of keep me in check and, and, and give me the right dose of, of reality when I needed it. But, you know, and some coaches at the right time when I was receptive to learning didn't do much at all, but just set an example. Um, you know, that was kind of how it was with, with Hal Lanier, who was the, the Cardinals um, manager back in the day. He was my manager my first year in pro ball. I mean, Hal and I didn't interact that much, but just by sort of being intimidated that my manager used to, A, play in the big leagues and manage in the big leagues, I just sort of started to, I just held myself to a higher standard, just knowing that that was the standard that he probably lived by. Um, he and I didn't have a whole lot of conversations, but our relationship was just basically mutual respect. And, um, I just tried to, I just assumed what I had to be to earn his respect. And I tried to be that, um, you know, at other times I had a, a very nurturing coach um, named Tim O'Brien, who was my my pitching coach my last three years in, in college. And that was when I was learning a lot and uh, blowing my elbow out a lot. So Tim was my uh, my mentor in, in rehab, really. I mean, I think two out of the three years he was there, I was just rehabbing my elbow. And, uh, you know, he was just a friend and in an ear. And, uh, and he was also a great pitching mind, too. So every time I rebuilt myself, he was there to in the he kind of in the shop with me helping me put the pieces back together and being a, a sounding board for, you know, the, the next version of myself. Um, you know, I had, and I had some kind of ruthless coaches, you know, my coach, my strength coach from college was one of my biggest influences and he just pretty much let me have it all the time from freshman year on, you know, anytime 
you know, and this was in a group of, you know, 25 or 30 college baseball players. It just always seemed like it was my name that was getting shouted out when I was, you know, not running on our agility drills right or not running hard enough in, uh, you know, in sprint conditioning, which by my like sophomore year, I was usually leading the pack. But still, if I like coasted, even if I was first, he'd, he'd be on me. Um, anytime my form was off in the, in the gym, it just seemed like my name was always the one that was called, you know, much more than other guys. And I think that was true. And really it's just because he, uh, he cared and he, he could see it in me that I held myself to a high standard and he, uh, just decided, you know, on himself that he was going to hold me to an even higher one. So he was extremely hard on me, but it built toughness, you know, and I, I don't know that having a, a friend of a coach at that point in my career would have been good for me. I think that was, that was the right, the right time for me to kind of have the, the boot camp sort of instructor who was always on my case, always on my back. But when I did have, you know, breakdowns and, and injuries and kind of hit a roadblock, you know, he, he, uh, he understood that he could see it and he shifted gears when he needed to. So, you know, I had a lot of good coaches over the years and I see, uh, and I hear it from, from kids and parents that I, you know, I train and you just, you just realize that coaches have a huge influence on athletes. And if you had 10 identical athletes and they all had 10 different coaches, there'd be 10 different results just because of what those coaches demand of them and, and how they get their message across and how they get through to them. And if the athlete responds and, and understands the message as well. So it's really, really crucial. And I think some, sometimes parents and kids, uh, they, they tend to like, Oh, this is, this is where we are. It's okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay. And the more I, I age and the more I think about it, the more I think like, if you don't have the coach, that's going to get the best out of you, you got to go find him. I don't know where he is. I don't know how to, how you necessarily do that, but you got to go find him because it's almost, it's, it's crucial to helping you get the best out of yourself. And the last thing, um, I put good posture and what I mean by good posture is, I mean, it's just a long journey, um, in sports through anyone, even if you're just, uh, you, you know, you don't go play college sports or you don't play professional sports that 10 years from, you know, usually age eight until 18. And of course, tons of kids start when they're five, six, seven. Um, I started when I was eight, I was just too busy catching bullfrogs and being like a nature kid prior to that, that time. But, um, you know, that 10 to 20 years, I was lucky. I got 23, eight to third, eight to 31. Um, there's just going to be a lot of bumps in the road and it's not going to be easy. And it's going to be extremely difficult when you start to hit those roadblocks of, and those potholes of I'm not good enough. Um, you know, I'm injured or I have some chronic issues that I'm dealing with. How do I continue to get better despite the fact that I can't jump because my knee hurts or I, I can't run because my ankles, you know, constantly swollen. Um, we see a lot of kids who play three sports who are just banged up constantly. You know, they go from one sport to the next, they don't get breaks. It's just extremely difficult to continue to, to climb the ladder and continue to make progress and reevaluate, reevaluate your needs and your goals and your training and all that stuff to, to keep climbing the, the mountain and to stay with the herd, so to speak. So, um, so good posture is really just about keeping your, your chest up and not getting down too fast and letting the slumps get to you because I mean, with any sport, and I've talked about this more and more with my coaches and athletes and, and parents, you know, especially in youth, 
youth sports like baseball and softball where there's so much variance where you can crush the ball and it goes in someone's glove and then you can hit bloopers and you can give up bloopers as a pitcher and lose games that way. It's, it's real easy to misinterpret the results and, and feel like, man, I'm, I'm never going to get out of this slump. You know, I'm O for my last 20. When these are really small, small sample sizes, you know, especially over a long career, you know, you go over 20, over 30, that could be half of your junior high baseball season or half of your high school softball season. Um, and you feel like, man, you're just struggling, then you're failing and that you have to redo everything and like, how are you going to get right? But sometimes it just, it just takes like, okay, I'm okay. I'm, I'm hitting the ball. Okay. I feel like my process is fine. My routine is still good. I'm practicing. Like I'm doing what I can. Like it's hard to know sometimes whether it's time to overhaul or just to keep going with what you've got. Um, it's, it's really difficult sometimes to figure out, do I need to change because of this slump? And it's hard. I mean, I, I had slumps each of my last three years and, uh, two of them, I just wrote out a little, for the most part, I didn't change much. And if I had a bad outing, I, I didn't dwell on it. I wasn't the guy like trying to fix my mechanics the next day in the outfield. That was never me. But, you know, in, in the two major slumps I had, which both came about mid year in 2014 and 15, um, you know, it was just like a little evaluation. Like, I, I don't think I'm pitching inside enough right now or something like that. Or I'm, I'm down in the zone too much or I'm going away too much or I'm letting my call, my catcher call a game that isn't quite me enough and I need to take control a little bit more. And that's not blaming my catcher. It's just blaming me for getting off track um, because, you know, you value your catcher's input and sometimes um, you can almost confuse yourself with, uh, with another person's input. So it's just all those sort of things where am I doing the right thing? And even though I'm failing, am I still me? Am I still here and doing well? And is there really cause for alarm? It's, it's hard to know, but just keeping your head up and, and keeping your wits about you is really the only way you start to get through those, those road bumps and those potholes and whatever other analogy you want to use. But so, you know, with all this stuff, it's, it's hard to know what it takes to make it to the next level, whatever that next level is for you, whether it's in the corporate world or in the sports world or whatever. But, um, you know, those five little bullet points are a big jumping off point. And of course, the other one is just internal motivation and drive and, and resolve. You know, too few people have those where they don't they don't have confidence in themselves. They don't have this this idea that they can do whatever they want. Um, and, you know, really, I think the it, it comes back to character and it comes back to work ethic and it comes back to, to grit and determination and resolve. But, um, you know, if you don't feel like you can make a change for yourself, you don't feel like you can you can earn that promotion or whatever it is, then you're not going to. It's always a self-appealing prophecy waiting for you. Um, you know, when you take the time to put in the effort and to put yourself out there and be vulnerable, um, it's scary and Many times it won't pay off, but sometimes it will. And, you know, you just have to take those chances a lot of times. And I mean, I've, I've been embarrassed on the field more times than I care to recount. Um, but doing all that, you know, in the long run, put me in a, put me in the right place where it set me up for, for success. So that's it for, uh, for this episode 19. Um, you know, next week I'm going to talk about pitching command I think there's a lot of misnomers out there, so I'm going to chat a little bit about it. I also have some good guests um, lined up for the next month or so 
I haven't had a guest on the show in a little bit, so I'm going to get back to that. I have some buddies finishing up uh, their baseball seasons, and um, it's been a busy time for me with our uh, our team tryouts and quick vacation and and all this sort of stuff and and getting some of my own uh, kind of products together. But but yeah, so stick with me, and we'll see you here for next uh, next week, episode twenty, big two zero on Dear Baseball Gods. <laughs>